1 Samuel chapter 18. Actually, back up. Go to chapter 16. Go to chapter 16. Just for a minute, we're going to look at these two chapters. But at first, what I want to do tonight is I want to read one verse from chapter 16, and then I want to read one verse from chapter 18, and then we'll look at uh, some events that surround, uh, surround these texts here. just want to point out one thing here uh, in uh, a similar uh, phrasing in chapter 16 and 18 in the life of Saul. Look at verse number 14, 1 Samuel 16, and look at verse number 14. Notice what it says. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. I underline in my Bible right there, uh, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You see that tonight? Go to chapter 18 and look at verse number 12. We read it this morning. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. And what does it say? And was departed from Saul. So chapter 16 tells us that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Chapter 18 tells us that the Lord was departed from Saul. And I want to preach on this thought just for a, just for a few minutes tonight. I want to preach on losing the touch of God. What does it look like when somebody has lost the touch of God on their life? What does it look like when somebody's life is absent of the Spirit of God resting on them? And I know, I understand the dispensation we're in. I understand all that. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside. I mean, say amen to that right there. He lives on the inside and He don't leave. Say amen right there. I want to thank God. If he did, he'd have packed up and left me a long time ago. Amen. But I'm glad he don't leave. I'm glad he abides. He's there. But would you agree with me tonight? And it's, sometimes it's hard to verbalize and it's hard to explain. But we know it's real and we know it's, we know it's a real thing to have not just the Spirit of God living in you, but having the Spirit of God on you being controlled, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, living a life that is completely yielded to the Spirit of God. And what we call it, we don't know any other way to explain it, but you hear us, we, talk, we call it this, we call it the touch of God, having the touch of God. How many have heard a preacher who said, man, that preacher's got the touch of God? How many heard some singing and said, man, that singer, that singing, that's got the touch of God on it? There's just something, it's not mechanical, it's not routine, it's got the dew of heaven. Heaven just dripping off of it. You ever met an old saint of God and just do? I mean, you, got, you could just been talking about them about anything, but man, they just had a touch of God on their life. Well, we find when we look at Saul, we find somebody who was absent the touch of God. The touch of God was gone off his life. He had, he was anointed, he had the Spirit of God on him, but now it was gone. And the story of Saul is really among some of the saddest stories in the Bible. I mean, and, and, and we looked at that in detail a while back. 
When we look at the life of Saul, it's amazing how he had so much potential and uh, I don't know if there's anybody that had as much potential as he had and then just squandered it all away. Uh, He started off humble and submissive. In fact, at one time Samuel looked at him and said, you know, when you were little in your own eyes, when you had some humility about you and you were humble, listen, God blessed you, God touched you, God helped you. He said, but man, you've got proud, you've got too big for your britches is what he was saying and now you have lost the touch of God. You have Squandered it, squandered it away now that you are proud and now that you are rebellious. We go back to chapter number 13. You don't have to go there, but we find out that that's what exactly what was going on. You remember where he impatiently takes it upon himself to offer the sacrifices. He was told to go here, wait on the prophet. He'll be there, and that's when the sacrifice will take place. He's waiting all day. He don't feel like Samuel's showing up when he thinks Samuel ought to show up. He says, I'll just do it myself. And because he took it upon himself and thought he could elevate himself to a position uh, and an assignment that he had never been given, uh, there was judgment pronounced on him that day. He said, your kingdom will continue no more. There was a judgment. There was a, 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 a proclamation that his kingdom would be uh, discontinued from that point forward. And then chapter 15, he never gets right. He never tries to repent. Uh, he just keeps on going like everything is all right. And in chapter number 15, he is given explicit commands to go to Amalek, wipe them all out. I mean, boy, girl, livestock, every bit of it, don't leave anybody alive, and he does not do that. He saves the kings, he saves the best cattle. He said, man, we're going to take this and offer it unto God. And he had his, his religious excuses, and instead of acknowledging his sin, and instead of confessing his sin, he... Uh, He uh, justifies his sin and he gives excuses for his sin. And again, the prophet confirms that judgment. He said, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And because of the accumulation of all this, it just sums it all up and tells us that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. What happens earlier in chapter number 16? David is anointed king. In fact, we kind of see, if you go back to verse number 13 of chapter 16, it's almost like we see David being anointed that, that anointing, that touch has come on David and it has been removed from Saul. It's almost like it just, it just changes here all of a sudden. Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. I'm in chapter 16. In the midst of his brethren and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And then verse 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It came on David and it left Saul. In chapter number 18, it's really the same comparison that's given in verse 12, the verse we read. Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. The touch of God was on David now, and the touch of God had been removed from Saul's life. And from that time forward, chapter 16, Saul's life was never the same. The presence of God on his life, the presence of God, the blessings of, life, of God, the favor of God on His kingdom, on His reign. It was absent from His life. Now that doesn't mean when we say that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Him or when God departed from Him, we're not saying that God was just not there at all or He was unaware of everything that was going on because He was gone like He just you know went to go visit somewhere else for a little while. That's not what it means. How many of you know that God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere all at one time. He knows everything. He sees all. He is everywhere. But what that means is that God had withdrawn His power and withdrew His his favor from Saul's life. And I want to tell you, just in the same fashion, in the same way, 
that touch of God is absent the life of the rebellious Christian. Those that walk after the flesh. Those that walk like Saul and say, you know what, I can just do my own thing. I can just live my own life. I can just, uh, I can just make things up as I go along. I don't have to obey God. And God will just bless me and God will just, uh, just always be there. I'm going to tell you something. It's not that way. Samson found out. Remember, he got up. He just thought the touch of God would be on his life. Just like it always had been. Every time he needed to whoop a Philistine, he could. Every time he needed a victory, he could just do it. He could just pull it out of his back pocket. But there was a day that he crossed the line and he woke up one morning in the lap of Delilah and his hair had been cut and he wished not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. That's what the Bible says. Y'all understanding what I'm talking about? Man, I don't know about you, but that's one of the greatest fears of my life is that I would not have the touch of God on my life. I don't understand how some people can just take it as a light thing. Some people can take it as a nonchalant thing. And you say, well, you're a preacher. That's different. You're, you know, you got to have it because you preach every Sunday. Uh, excuse me, I need the touch of God to be a daddy. And I need the touch of God to be a husband. And I need the touch of God to be a Christian. You mean to tell me that you're trying to be a parent in this crazy day that we're living in? You mean you're trying to tell me you're trying to raise kids in this wicked, ungodly society without the touch of God on your life? You're crazy, man. You're trying to do it on your own? Why in the world would you do that? You mean you're trying to, you're trying to uh, uh, do whatever ministry God's put on your life? You're trying to do it without His touch, without His blessings, without His favor? Man, you're crazy, man. You can't do anything without it. Man, we need God. Man, what, what do God would get back to the place where we desire the touch of God on our life more than anything? I don't care if you're a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or you sing in the choir or whatever. You're just a mama. You're just a daddy. You're a grandma or grandpa. I don't care what you do, where God puts you. A teenager. Listen, you could be a teenager with a touch of God on your life. and You need it, man. You absolutely need the touch of God on your life. It's not just for preachers, it's for everybody. Man, it's hard to explain what it is. I, I'm just going to be honest about it. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know what it ain't. I can't always tell. I can't always tell, you know, sometimes everything's got to, But I know when it's not there. I know when it's absent. I know when it's gone. It's, it's easy to recognize. In fact, these, these Saul's men even recognized it in his life. Something was different. Something was gone. I don't know all what the touch of God is, but I know what it ain't. It, it's not, the touch of God is not talent. T talent, that's a, that's, a, that's a gift. Just, be, just because somebody can sing don't mean they have a touch of God. Just because somebody can play the piano don't mean they have a touch, touch of God on their life. Just because so, just somebody can teach a class or somebody can, somebody's got a great personality, that doesn't mean they got a touch of God. Just, and I'll say this, just because somebody can stand up in a pulpit and entertain people, and, and hold people's attention and, 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 and communicate truths in a plain, clear fashion. That does not mean they have the touch of God on their life. You know, there's a gift. There's a gift of teaching and there's a gift of prophesying or preaching or whatever, or telling, communicating the Word of God. There's a lot of preachers, they got a gift, but they don't have a lot of spirituality about them. Amen. I know some... And listen, by the way, this isn't every preacher. Most of the preachers I know... They're godly men. They walk with God. They love God. and They want to serve God, and they're the real deal. But I do know a few who can stand behind a pulpit and preach one of the best messages you ever heard. But outside the pulpit, 
they ain't much of a Christian. Amen. I'm here to tell you, that ain't the rule, that's the exception. I know some, listen, you can look at the southern gospel industry. I mean, I'm not just trying to pick on them. But man, they're full. They're full of talent, aren't they? I like to listen to some, some southern gospel. Some of it's a bunch of junk, but I like to listen to some of it. Man, them guys, they could sing just right. Them, them girls, man, they, could, they, they know where to hold the microphone and they know how to hit the notes. And, man, they could hit it like you ain't never heard. But just because they put on some kind of production and there's lights and music and, and it's emotional and all that, listen, that doesn't mean that's the touch of God. That's just talent. That's just God-given talent is all that is. Amen. And there's a difference between using a gift and being godly and having, a, having God's touch and favor on your life. Touch of God's not talent. Touch of God's not a toy. Some only seek the touch of God so they can perform well in front of other people. They want to use it just to entertain themselves and entertain others. Kind of t- talked about that. Touch of God, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean something loud. See, and that's what we, 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 we got used to. And I like loud preaching. I like Brother Morgan preaching last week. I, I enjoy that. Now, he preached with the touch of God. I'm not saying he didn't. But I'm just saying we like that, you know, kind of loud, hacking preaching. I, I do. I grew up around it. I like it. And uh, I like it. I like it loud. Okay. I don't apologize for that one bit. But I'm going to tell you something. Just because a preacher's loud don't mean he's got touch of God. Just because a preacher gets up behind a pulpit and he never raises his voice, that doesn't mean he doesn't have the touch of God on his life. Touch of God is not some kind of entertainment item. It's not a talent. Touch of God is not, um, it's not a title. It's not a title. In fact, Saul, he never was stripped of the title king. When Saul died, he still had a title. But he had long lost the touch of God on his life. Just because you got a title, just because you got, you got, a, you got an, an office, you got a position, that doesn't mean you have the touch of God on your life. They're totally disconnected. They're not even connected remotely in one bit because David had God all over him, but he wasn't king. He was anointed, but he wasn't appointed until later. In fact, even after that, he wasn't appointed over all Israel to even, even seven years after that. There was a great many years between anointment and appointment in, in David's life. Saul had the title, but David had the touch. Listen, you can have pastor beside your name. It doesn't mean you got a touch of God. You can have preacher beside your name. That doesn't mean you got a touch of God. You can have whatever you want beside your name. That doesn't mean you have a touch of God. They're totally two separate things. What, what does it look like? As we examine our own lives tonight, and I want to ask you that question. I'm serious about it. You answer this question. Do you have a touch of God on your life? Do you have God's hand on your life? Are you spirit-filled? Are you controlled by the Spirit of God? I'm talking about having the Spirit of God not just in you, but is He on you? Is He on you? You got the touch of God on you? What does it look like when the touch of God is gone? First of all, let me say this, that it looks like, number one, it looks like an absence of power. It looks like an absence of power. I'm in chapter 16. I'm looking at these verses here, and... I'm just noticing in verse number 14 says that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord 
troubled him. It's amazing to me that as soon as the Lord departed from him, an evil spirit took its place. Now, I don't know all what uh, that evil spirit is. There's two different ways you can look at that. Uh, the evil spirit from the Lord. Some people choke on that just a little bit and say, man, an evil spirit from the Lord. Well, first of all, if it is a demon or a devil or something like that, I don't have any problem with that. Why? Because God is in control of all the spirit world. He's in control of all of it. He and Jesus in his earthly ministry, he took demons out of men and put them in other places and swine. He can do whatever he wants with any of them he wants. He has, he has all power. All power is given in him in heaven and earth. God is, God, is, uh, God is above all. He's in control of all of it. Or it could be uh, just a spirit from God. And that word evil, it doesn't always mean sinful. A lot of times when you say that word evil, it's not talking about sin. It just means something that troubles, something that is troubling God sent conviction. God sent a troubling in his life. Either way you want to look at it, it doesn't matter. It's from God, and this evil spirit is on him, and it, and it troubles his spirit, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. We looked at that this morning. He'd pick up a javelin, and he'd throw it. There's times where he'd cuss out his son, and he would just be mad at all of his servants and all that. And we looked at that through the life of Saul in, in, in past days. But, 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 but he had something. It's amazing to me how, how, how when God's spirit left, something else come. There was just not nothing in his life. Something was controlling him. Something was on him. By the way, that's the way it is for everybody. It's not just that when the Spirit of God leaves, when the touch of God leaves, you just don't have anything on you. No, when the touch of God leaves, it leaves an emptiness and open a vacuum for something else to get on you and control your life. I've seen church members with a bad spirit. I've seen preachers get up in the pulpit with a bad spirit. You can do all kind of stuff with a bad spirit. Amen. Because it's not just that you just don't have any spirit control. It's, there's something. There's something on you. And it was evident for everybody to see. Verse number 15, Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. He said, something's troubling you. Something is, uh, there's something wrong with you. And they knew exactly, it's amazing to me how they knew exactly what it was. These servants of Saul said, this is an evil spirit from God that is troubling you. They may not have known what was going on. They may not have known that God had left, but they knew that something wasn't right. Something, something evil had come upon him. But here's what I'm intrigued about. I'm intrigued in this, their solution. Look at their solution to the problem. Verse 16, let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. It's amazing to me that the solution that they come up with was not, hey, let's go to God and find out what's going on. Listen, if you lose the touch of God, what you need to do is you need to get back in a place where you are seeking God again. That's what you need to do. But what did they do? They said, let's find somebody that can play an instrument and he can help deal with your symptoms instead of finding somebody that can get us to God. They should have been seeking out Samuel, not seeking out David. 
And if that doesn't sound, listen to me, I got to thinking about that and meditating on that this week. Man, if that does not sound like exactly what we have going on in our churches today, I don't know what does because here is exactly what's going on. We're, we're the solution that we come up with to live. We have learned to live without the power of God. We've learned to live without the touch of God. We've learned to live without the blessings of God. And instead of saying, hey, let's get on our face and let's find out what's going on and let somebody get a hold of God. Instead of doing that, we say, let's find somebody that can help us feel better about our condition. Let's find out how, instead of changing our life, instead of rearranging our life, let's find out how we can live with it. Hmm. Let's find out how we can live with it. Let's find something. And isn't that what everybody's looking for these days? They're looking for something that'll just make them feel better. Therapeutic Christianity. They don't want to really get right with God. They don't want to really seek God. They don't really want to touch a God on their life. They just want somebody, just make me feel better. Make, just break up the conviction where I don't feel bad anymore. People want to come to church and not feel bad, don't they? And if you want to go to a church and not feel bad, there's plenty of them to go to. Um, I'm not saying we ought to feel bad every time, but you know, James said that our laughter should be turned into mourning and our... And, and some, and there needs to be some weeping going on, and and sometimes there needs to be a if there's never if 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 every every service is just happy clappy laugh it up and laugh it all if that's what everything is listen that's not that that that's a that's a substitute for the for the touch of God. We've all instead of seeking the power of God and the touch of God for our life, we've all learned just how to live without it. And we've learned how to feel better without it. I don't ever want to get to the place where I've learned how to feel better without getting right with God. Y'all get that? Have you got to the place where you know how to you know you know what to listen to, you know who to be around, you know what to turn on, you know what food to make, you know whatever it is. It's just some way to make yourself feel better without truly getting right with God. It's like instead of fixing the problem in your car, it's just like turning up the radio so you don't hear the engine knocking anymore. It's like putting a piece of electrical tape over the check engine light on your dash, just just covering it up, right? Now you feel better. But the problem's still there. Have we not learned how to feel better without... I'd hate to know that I could go to a church and go walk in not right with God and walk out feeling good about myself, but nothing's changed spiritually. And it's amazing to me that when they wanted to find somebody just to make Saul feel better... Who did they get? Verse number 18, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, a man of war, a prudent, prudent in matters, and a comely person. And look what it says. What does that say? And the Lord is with him. It was evident 
they knew God was with this boy, David. And what's amazing to me is this, is that when they wanted to find somebody to make Saul feel better, they found somebody who had the touch of God on their life. And Saul was dependent upon somebody else. He didn't have God. He didn't have the touch of God. He was totally 100% dependent on somebody else who did have the touch of God. He did not have the power. He did not have the ability to push back on those evil spirits in his life. He had to find somebody else that had power over them. And people without the touch of God, they are completely 100% dependent on other people that do have it. That's the only way they experience God. That's the only way they get relief. That's the only way they could even feel better about That's the only way they get any spiritual excitement at all. They can't pray on their own. They can't study on their own. They can't get with God on their own. They never have any meaningful experiences with God all on their own. They have to have somebody else that has the touch of God. They live vicariously through somebody else that has the touch of God on their life. They don't know any victory. They don't know any spiritual excitement. They can't have any worship in their life unless they get around somebody else who has God on their life. They have no power of their own. And when I say that, I know it's God's power, but on their own life, to do anything at all. It had to be David that drove away the evil spirits. It had to be David that killed giants. Saul could not do anything supernatural on his own. He had no power of God in his life. Now, I'm thankful for those that have the touch of God. I like, I, listen, I, I like to hear preaching with the touch of God. I like to hear singing with the touch of God. I like to hear that. It helps me and encourages me. But I'm going to tell you something. Listen, and listen, and those, man, there's been preachers with the touch of God had a profound impact on my life. And when I have it, praise the Lord. But when I have the touch of God on my own life like I should, I'm not falling apart when somebody else don't have it on their life. I don't need... Listen, and I, I don't want to say this proudly. Listen, I thank God for those that have touch of God. We, we need that, no doubt about it. But in another sense, listen, I don't need somebody else with a touch of God on their life. If I'm where I need to be, if I got the touch of God on my life, I can pray on my own and I can study on my own. Own, and I can get to God on my own. And I can bless. listen. Some people they say, "Well, I just that's just a dead church, and I'm not going there." That's, that preacher's just dead. Listen, if you got a touch of God on your life, it won't be a dead church anymore. Some people are just expecting the preacher to get up and carry all the load. Listen, we need pastors with a touch of God. But do you have the touch of God on your life? Can you change the atmosphere of a service? Can you change the temperature of a service? Can you get a hold of God? Can you worship even if it's all by yourself? Are you looking at somebody else around you to do it for you? How about you, friend? Amen. How about you? We come into church, look at the preacher like, all right, I hope you prayed this week because I need help. And I know we all have weeks like that. I'm not, I'm not yelling at you about that. But I'm just saying, if you got any spirituality about you at all, you need to come in this place with a touch of God on your own life. And it's amazing to me. I've been in some services that weren't really that great, but God had done met with me already, and I enjoyed it just the same. Amen. 
Amen. It's amazing how when you get God on you, it's amazing how better the preacher sounds. It's amazing how better the singing is. It's amazing how better the worship service is. When you come in and you already have the touch of God on your life instead of pointing your finger and blaming everybody else. Amen. Saul couldn't do anything on his own. He had to find somebody else that had the touch. He had to seek out somebody else that had God on him or he couldn't get any help himself. I'm not saying don't expect the preacher to have the touch of God on his life because you ought to. You have every right to expect that. But I'm saying, what about you, man? How about you? Instead of trying to find somebody that will make you feel better, why don't you just get a hold of God yourself? Amen. Instead of just cleaning out cobwebs all the time, why don't you kill the spider? Amen. Let's get to the root of the problem. Amen. There was an absence of power. Are you right with God? You got God on you? Or are you living off somebody else's relationship with God? That's what Saul had to do. He had to live off somebody else's. In fact, at the end of his life, man, he's going crazy. Why? Because he, he had to find Sam. He had, he had no connection to God himself. That's why he went to a bunch of witches and said, Hey, you got to... You got to call Samuel up from the dead. I have no clue what to do. He had no connection, personal connection with God. The only connection he had was through other people. And it drove him crazy at the end of his life. There's an absence of power. Secondly, how do you know when you've lost the touch of God? Not only is there an absence of power, but secondly, there's an addiction to praise. There's an addiction to praise. Go to chapter number 18 with me. And we talked about this thing. I'm not going to rehash it all out. But they come back in from the slaughter of the Philistine and, and Goliath. And here they are. And here are these women. They come out and they're singing. You remember that this morning? And they come out and they're singing, you know. And yet, but they added a new verse. They added a new line to this song. And it absolutely drove Saul up the wall. Verse 8, Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? That, that, that moment when David, when somebody else got more attention, got more praise than what he did, it triggered something inside of him. It triggered something on the inside of him. And he couldn't handle not getting the highest praise. Why was that? Well, let me just show you just real quick. Take you, Bob, just real quick, real quick, real quick. Chapter 13. Go back. When, when that first judgment is pronounced on him, when he couldn't wait on Samuel to get there, here's what it says. Chapter 13, verse number 14. Here's what Samuel says. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. And, and then look what Samuel brings up. He said, The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. The Lord has sought him a man. God sought him out a man. He, you know what God told Saul? He said, I got somebody else. I got another man. And that's again what it says in chapter 15. Look at that judgment in chapter 15, verse number 28. Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And so these judgments came with the prophecy that there was another man, there was somebody else that was going to receive the kingdom. And this 
person. He's got a heart after God. He's better than Saul. That was God's words to Saul. And so because of that, listen to me, now don't miss this. Because of that, Saul lived as a very insecure man. Very insecure. And people that are insecure, they have to have the highest praise. They have to have human validation because they're not getting any from God. They have to have the approval of man. They have to have likes and hearts and they ha- on social media, and they have to have people telling them that they're okay and they're doing good and you're doing right. You know why? Because they never get any of that from God. In fact, the disapproval of God is on their life, and because the disapproval of God is on their life, they have to seek out the approval of man. People who have lost the approval of God, they have to replace it with the applause of man. I want to tell you something. This right here is a cheap substitute. It doesn't mean anything. You can, in fact, listen, you can go all the way to the top and you can find out there ain't nothing there. It's an empty life seeking after the approval of man. Because what it just rings hollow, it rings empty. It doesn't. But there's nothing like laying your head on your pillow at night and knowing that God is pleased with you and you are trusting in Him and He's got His hand on you and He's got His touch on your life. There's nothing in the world that could ever replace that. I don't care who could put their signature on your life. I don't care who could applause you, who could approve of you, who could like you, who could accept you. Listen, if God be against you, who? can be for you. Amen. I know that's not how the verse goes. But the opposite is true. If God be for you, who can be against you? But if God be against you, Mr. Saul, it don't matter who's for you. You can have all the ladies sing your highest praise and sing and dance and and shake their tambourines all over the place, but that doesn't mean anything. It rings hollow. At the end of the day, Saul was still an insanely insecure man. Because he lost the touch of God on his life. That's why Paul could write to the Corinthians and he could say something like this. It's a small thing to be judged by you. That's what he said. 1 Corinthians 4. He said, but with me it's a small, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of any man's judgment. And he said, yea, I judge not my own self. He said, I don't even take into consideration my own judgment of me. He said, it don't matter. You know what Paul said? He said, it don't matter what you say about me. It don't matter what anybody says about me. In fact, it doesn't even matter what I say about myself. He said, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. You know what Paul was saying right there? He wasn't saying that he don't care what anybody thinks about him. That attitude right there is a little immature, don't you think? I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Really? You don't care? The Bible even says about Jesus that he grew in stature and in favor with God and man. There's something said about having a good testimony. I don't care what the pastor thinks about me. Really? Man, if I went to church and I had a pastor, I'd want to know what he thought about me and my spiritual life. Amen. I don't care. That, that's not what he said. In, in comparison, relatively speaking, he said, God's assessment of me and your assessment of me, if you compare the two, yours is so small and even mine is so small. 
He said it only matters what God. He didn't get rattled. Paul didn't get rattled. And this is the Apostle Paul's amazing to me in this sense that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the one receiving the revelations and, and, and writing these epistles and, 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 I mean, putting the church in order, writing these church epistles, all these things. But you know what? It never bothered him personally when people talked about him. He didn't have to have the highest praise. He didn't have to have the highest seat. He didn't have to have all this stuff. He didn't need man's validation on his life. He had God's validation on his life and his ministry. And that's why he said many times, we come to you, we come in power, not in the wisdom of man's word, but in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. He said, look around. There are visible signs that God has approved my ministry. I have the touch of God on my life. There is fruit to show. There are visible things that you can see and you can know. He said, it doesn't matter what anybody says about me, only what God... But you take somebody that is not right with God, somebody that is, 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 is unsure, uh, somebody that is living for themselves, and there is a deep insecurity within them because they are missing that touch of God on their life that lets them know that they are approved of. A workman. Approved. How about that? People without the touch of God have to fill that void in their life with man's validation. And so they got it, they gotta have attention. They gotta have praise. They gotta people gotta say, You're good, you're doing good. And that's why they go, they'll go to other people. Uh, they won't go to the Bible. They'll go to they'll go to other people, try to make it. Do you think I'm doing right? Do you think this is okay? Listen, I'm gonna tell you something. What do you want to do? Just pick something you want to do. You can find some idiot that'll agree with you. Listen, man, there's a bunch of crazy junk going on. Man, I'm about sick of watching the news. I probably shouldn't even watch it anymore. Man, just craziness going on. If you, listen, if you're born a male and you want to be a female, you'll find somebody that'll pat you on the back. Hey, man. If you're born a female and you want to be, live like a man, listen, you'll find somebody that tells you, you're normal, you're fine. Listen, the validation from this world, <laughs> that's not much to talk about. This world's crazy, man. Tell you what I want. I want God's touch. I want God's approval. What does it look like when you've lost the touch of God? Well, it's an absence of power. It's an addiction to praise. And then I'll give you this last one. I'm done. It's an animosity towards people. And, and I want to put in parentheses here, and I did in my notes. I couldn't fit it on there. But it's animosity towards people who have the touch of God. There is, a, there is an immediate... There's a conviction that comes on people. There's a troubling that comes on people when they get around people that have the touch of God. When they used to have it and they lost it. And they're not living for God anymore. And they get around people that are living for God. It convicts them. It tears them up. Like when David went into the valley of Elah there. and Oh man, it just tore his brothers up, didn't it? Because David was willing to do something they weren't willing to do. They maligned his motives. They said, you're just here out of the naughtiness of your heart. You're just here, you're just here to see the battle. Where are those little sheep? Where, where, who'd you leave those little sheep with in the winter? You're, you're, you, you, this is too big for you. You need to go somewhere else. And, 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 and uh, all these things that they would say about David, what was that? That was Eliab. He was under conviction is what it was. Even convicted Saul. And that insecurity in Saul's life, it led to fear 
that his kingdom was going to be ripped away. And that fear turned into hatred for David. Even though David didn't do anything wrong. We talked about that this morning. And, and you go through chapter 18, everybody loves David. Everybody loves him. All Israel loves him. Jonathan loves him. Michael loves him. Saul's son, Saul's daughter, Jonathan, Michael. They love him. Everybody, all of it, all the servants of Saul, everybody loved David. Except for one guy, the guy that used to have the touch of God on his life. And it's gone. So he tries to kill David. He plots against David. I'm not going to go through all those verses. But people who have lost the touch of God, they're convicted and they're afraid. We find that that's over and over in the text. Saul was afraid of David. He was afraid of David. And so you know what they got to do? If there's somebody that convicts you their life and you don't want to get right, you know what it's easier to do sometimes? It's easier just to demonize them. It's easier just to, just to tear them down. I'm going to tell you, let me, let me say something to some people in here that, that uh, um, you're trying to live for God and, and people are trying to tear you down. Listen, just, just know this. It's just a part of it. That's a, it'll never stop. It'll never stop. If you think living for God is going to make you popular with everybody, listen, you're, 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 you're mistaken. That's not going to happen. And you're just prepare, prepare to be demonized, prepare to be criminalized, prepare to be maligned. You are going to be misunderstood. You are going to be mistreated. You are going to be mistaken. That is just a part of it. They did it to Jesus. They're going to do it to you. The servant's not greater than his Lord. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Servant is not greater than his Lord. It's just a part of it. David had to deal with it. The biggest problem David had in his life wasn't the Philistines. It was somebody that used to have the touch of God on his life that was jealous of him and mad at him. And I'm going to tell you, living for God, I, you know what I found out? You know who's giving me the most trouble? Besides myself. You know who's giving me the most trouble? It's not the world. It's not the world. The world ain't hard to give me any trouble, Honestly. I mean, it's not, it, listen, it's not Budweiser. It's not, it's not the, 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 the pornography companies. That's not who's giving this church trouble. I'll tell you who's troubling, who troubles me and who's troubling this church. It's people that used to have a touch of God on their life, and now they got bitter and angry and cold and hard and calloused on God. That's who causes the most trouble. That's exactly right. You know why they do that? It's because demonizing those who try to live right is a lot easier than getting right with God. It's easier to look at somebody else and say, there's something wrong with you than it is to look in the mirror and say, man, there's something wrong with me. Nobody likes to do that. I don't like to do it. I don't like to look in the mirror and say, man, it ain't my brother, it ain't my sister. I don't have a brother, but I got a sister. And that's tough for me to talk about. Y'all know that. It ain't her. It's me. It's me. It ain't my church. It ain't my pastor. It ain't my Sunday school teacher. It's not my wife. 
It's not my kids. It's not my job. It's not my situation. It's not my circumstances. It's not. It's me. It's me. I've lost the touch of God. That's hard to say. That's hard to admit. That's hard to confess and to get on your face and don't get up until God has touched your life again. Get thoroughly right with God. I thought about this, Miss Maddie, come to the piano. I'm done tonight. But I thought about this. I thought about what, how would Saul's life be different? How would Saul's life be different if, if he had pursued God instead of pursuing David? What if Saul put all of his energy into going after God rather than going after somebody else? Hmm. I'm going to tell you something I know about God. Personally and scripturally, God's a merciful God. Listen, God gave Ahab mercy. God gave Manasseh mercy. God is a merciful God. You don't think God would give Saul some mercy? I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying that David wouldn't have been the next king and, and God would have changed his mind. I don't know what God would have done. We have no idea. But what I'm saying is Saul could have been a blessing to David. He could have been an ally to David. He could have said, "Look, I know God's anointed you the next king, and I'm going to me and you, we're going to love God together. We're going to worship God together. We're going to serve God together, and I'm going to try to set you up the best way I can after I'm gone." My boy Jonathan's going to help you out. He loves, he loves you so much. He's going he's to be right here. I'm not going to fight against him. I'm not going to fight against you. What if Saul would have went after God instead of going after a brother in Christ? I wonder if his life would have been any different. Rather than at the end of his life, he's curled up in the floor of a witch's house having a nervous breakdown. You think it might have ended just a little bit different? His sons die in battle with him. You think that might have ended just a little bit different? Everybody's lost respect for him. You think that might have ended just a little bit different? Peter went after God. Because here's the thing about, about an absence of God's touch. It's not just missing. It's not like, well, my life's good, and if I have the touch of God, it'll be real good. That's No, 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 no. It's not, well, you know, I, I, I'm here, I'm at level one, and if I had the touch of God, that'd level, put me at level three. No, no, we're not talking about that. Let me tell you how this thing works. The absence of the touch of God in your life, it's not that you're just missing out on thing, good things. It actually, that absence actually brings death. It brings destruction. It brings a withering away it's not like churches that don't have the touch of God. It's not like they're just missing out on good things. No, there's death there. Things shrivel up and die. When there is no touch of God, the absence of God's touch, it brings death. It brings a misery. It's inviting a misery into our lives that permeates every area of our life. So I'm asking you tonight, do you have the touch of God?